0: Speak to us, Jesus, using a short prayer of St. Maria. Tell me something, Jesus. And he's going to constantly tell us what's involved with following him. He says, follow me. What is the meaning of that phrase, follow me? Well, it's the four gospels. Map out, spell out what's involved with following him. Jesus reveals himself as the way. Very significant word. Because you walk along a way. You travel along a way. And so this means that when we contemplate him, I am the way, I am the truth, he's a map, a map to everlasting life. And he's not only a map, he's a roadway, and you're supposed to walk along a roadway. And so there's a trajectory leading to the heart of Christ, and that trajectory remains in our own heart. Behold, the kingdom of God is within you. And the progressive steps I take are deeds of self-giving love. And those are the steps. And the steps I need to take, he says, I am the way, is incarnating, putting into practice, following his teaching, practicing his teaching. And he said to all, our weaker self prefers that he just says it to a select few, but he says it to all. If anyone would come after me, in other words, if anybody wants to follow me, let him or her deny himself or herself and take up his or her cross daily. Follow me is in the context of self-denial and the cross. That's why our weaker side prefers that he address this to a select few and that we not be included among that select few. But the good news is that anything we do, Obviously, that includes the cross. Ultimately, and in a sense, immediately, brings us to a greater joy. All these moves we make, all these deeds of self giving love, connect us with Him, and He is life. He is everlasting life. He is good news of great joy. And we notice here that He speaks about two conditions to follow Him. He could have just said, if anyone wants to come after me, let them take up their cross and follow me. He doesn't say that. He says, before he says cross, he talks about self-denial. And so this meditation is on self-denial, specifically detachment and temperance. I've been priesting these workshops for many years, and some of the topics are new, there's only so many new topics you could establish, but this is always a standard one. I don't know if this is an implicit correction that we are all receiving, that the standard topic in every workshop for a number of years is self-denial, i.e. detachment and temperance. But even on a natural level, self-denial is key. I remember a number of years ago playing tennis so many years ago, it was before we had tennis courts here at Shelbourne, a long time ago. And uh, I guess this rich kid was getting lessons, and he was an ornery kid. He was about 12 years old, and he was arguing with his instructor. And if we were a baseball game and not a tennis game, he'd be doing pretty well because he, would hit, he kept hitting the ball out of the park. But it wasn't a baseball park, it was a tennis court. And the instructor said, you, You're swinging the, the racket like a baseball bat. This is tennis. And he kept arguing, I feel more comfortable swinging it like a baseball bat. <laughs> he said, But if you keep doing that, if you don't stop it, you're never going to learn how to play tennis. You're not going to hit it over the net. You'll hit it over the fence, but not over the net. And he said, You have to swing as if you're shaking hands. I remember. And he was giving a lot of pushback because he just wasn't used to swinging the racket as if you were shaking hands. And he, after a while, he started to conform to the instructions of his teacher, and at least he was able to uh, keep the ball in the court. And apply it to anything, Uh, learning a foreign language. Well, it's more comfortable for me to pronounce this uh, French word with a heavy... Midwestern American accent. Well, you got to deny yourself of that in order to uh, communicate in French or Spanish. Off the record, I got this example because in my experience in foreign countries, the only foreign country I'm familiar with is uh, Italy and Spain, that the Americans are notorious. They just refuse to let up on their strong American accent. And they don't conform to the etiquette of these latin languages you're not supposed to say you there's a formal and respecting you and there's a more familiar you so you don't use the familiar you to talk to somebody you don't know or someone who is your supervisor and the accusation of americans is that they just they don't have enough humility to defer to people in authorities because they come from a democratic society, a egalitarian society. No, no, I wish that were true. We just don't feel like making the effort. So there is that self-denial even on a natural level. Well, I really want to do better in school. Okay, well, I have to deny myself uh, leisure time. And I have to uh, put some time constraints on my downtime. So anyway, we don't have to convince each other that even on a natural level, Self-denial is an indispensable ingredient. Why is our Lord very much into that? In a way, that was his first instruction on how to become holy, how to become a disciple. The new law begins with a splash, and they're called the eight Beatitudes. And Beatitude probably comes from a Greek word that means blissful happiness. And the Beatitudes are very counterintuitive. Because Jesus is teaching that in order to have this blissful happiness, we have to put our hearts into some serious self-denial. We have to deny ourselves of anger. We have to deny ourselves of avarice. We have to deny ourselves of sensuality. We have to deny ourselves of pride. So it's always kind of restricting, maybe that's not a good word, controlling the heart or getting the heart in shape so that it conforms to that heart of Jesus. And as I conform my heart to the heart of Jesus, I experience beatitude. And the first beatitude, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he had sat down with his disciples, he opened his mouth and taught them, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." That's the first beatitude, and it sets the tone for the rest of the beatitudes. What does that mean? Is it material poverty? Material poverty is part of it, but it is a complete detachment from self, not in a stoic way or a puritanical way. It's fun, keep it away from me. <laughs> It tastes good. It's not for me. This is a comfortable chair. I won't sit in it. That's my favorite show. I'll never watch it. I mean, this is not the point. You know, everything God created is good, it was created for us. So that's not it. But I need to be detached from self because the human person is not only material, but spiritual. And the heart is a spiritual container. That Why do I say spiritual container? Because if we're a physical container, I could put all sorts of things in it. You know, we have our bucket list. and That's a very physical image. I have my bucket list. Okay, I wanna go to Switzerland before I check out. I want to go to Grand Canyon before I check out. I want to uh, go to my favorite Broadway plays before I check out. So I have a bucket list. You know, it's, they all fit in there. It's a matter of time, but I can't have a bucket list in the spiritual sense. And Aristotle and Thomas Aquinas uses this spiritual bucket list. He says there's a number of passions the human heart can have. I don't mean passion in the in the terms of emotion. This, you know, baseball's my passion. Medicine is my passion. Teaching is my passion. The more technical uh, phrase is ultimate end, that the human person has an ultimate end, a good that defines him or her. And Aristotle and Thomas Aquinas is the same thing, that there's a number of options that you could have as ultimate ends. One is riches. One is pleasure. One is fame. One is power. One is material possessions. I'm sure I'm missing a few. and. You can't have more than one. Only an ultimate end, an ultimate good, fills the human heart. I think maybe one way to look at it is spousal love. Nobody would tolerate. Well, I love my wife, but there's a couple other women I love too. You know, I have three ultimate loves in my life. That's totally unacceptable, because that's not the nature of the human person. Only one ultimate love can fit into the human heart. So with the help of our Lord, and increase my faith, I need faith, that I do want to make you, Lord, my ultimate love. And this, this is a work in progress. It's not just one decision, and then we're you know good for the rest of our lives. We have to keep on reiterating this and beginning again. And, and this is running through the entire gospel that where the rubber meets the road in discipleship, I, I don't notice it. Our Lord never talks about it. You need a lot of talent. Or if you've had a, you know, take Matthew, take a lot of these people. Uh, if you've had a checkered past, I don't think you're going to cut it. M- Mary Magdalene, eh, I-, I think this is going to be too much for you. Your track record doesn't cut it. Maybe one of your kids, um, <laughs> but not you. So he doesn't say that. Or Peter, you know, you know, one of the perks of being God is that you can predict the future. You're, you're going to be my, you know, i, I kind of like you to be my first pope, but denying Christ publicly as a pope is not very good. It's not exactly beginning on the right foot. And you're going to try to kill a man after I wash your feet. Uh, I don't think you could cut it. You know, you've you got, you got too many passions that are controlling you. You're a coward. You're a big mouth. You're envious. You're violent. Uh, you know. It, you, I don't think you can make it. And, you know, and Matthew's a publican. Publicans had the uh, tendency or the habit of violating all the commandments, you know, in Spain, you know, All. Uh, they were the equivalent of mafia. And, and so we, don't, we notice that Jesus never mentions someone's sins. He doesn't mention someone's weaknesses. But he does give, he does establish conditions. And when Peter... Was the protagonist of the miraculous catch of fish, you know? And he probably was happy that he went along with our Lord's outlandish plan to go back on the lake and fish after pulling it an all nighter and not catching anything, and just you know, all right, you want me to fish? I'll fish. You know, I think it's madness, but I'll do it. And so he does. He he's shocked when he hauls in those boatloads of fish and the boats are sinking because there's so many fish. That's a lot of fish. And what does Peter say? I think you're after the wrong guy. I, I, I'm i not in your league. I, I'm i not your man here. Being an apostle and and then being the head of the group, no, I don't think so. You cut me loose. I understand. Peter saw it. He fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. For he was astonished, and all that were with him, at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John the sons of Zebedee. So I guess they were, they were partners with Simon. So he was the boss. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. Yeah, I know you're sinful. And I will remind you how sinful you are. I'll predict the future on you. I'll predict your triple denial. So, you know, he, he, he knows that Peter's got his issues, as they say today. Do not be afraid, henceforth. You will be catching men. In other words, you will be an evangelizer. And probably Peter said, well, how is this going to happen? I am a sinful man. And Jesus said, well, I just need one thing from you. I need you to deny yourself and take up your cross. Are you willing to do that? Yes, I am. Okay, you're in. The Holy Spirit will take care of the rest. I mean, you, you've got to make that kind of commitment. And this sounds like kind of a throwaway phrase, you know, you, you got the melodrama of the ima- uh, miraculous catch, so you're kind of lost in the melodrama of that outstanding miracle extraordinary prodigy. But this is a key phrase. There's no wasted phrase, even though it comes across as very standard. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So That's what Jesus wanted. And that's that's where I need to win the grace. It's not enough that I know what I have to do. I need the grace of conversion to actually do it. and step number one is always wanting to, to desiring it, or at least desiring to desire it, that I want to be detached. Detached doesn't mean indifferent. And we, all of us, have a very wholly vested interest. The more attached to our Lord I am, the more I will love those closest to me. So there is kind of a wholly vested interest. And I need to always realize and that my heart can only be filled with one passion, One ultimate aim. And so that's, and I have to see it more than, you know, try to figure out, is our Lord my ultimate end? What is militating? What are the obstacles? What is obstructing this union I want with our Lord, this intimate union I want with our Lord? What's distracting? And Luke is good at, there all are, but um, Luke in his parable of the sower, Previous to his words about the cross, he talks about fruitfulness in this parable of the sower. There's four possibilities, only one works. And I just want to briefly meditate on category three of the parable of the sower, when the seed lands in the thorn because we could easily fall into Category 3. We're in Category 4, but we could easily fall into Category 3. As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked. In other words, they they can't breathe the air of the Holy Spirit because there's obstruction in their breathing process. It's it's kind of a... Interesting analogy he uses. They go on there where they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. These are ultimate goods, false ultimate goods, but ultimate goods. And their fruit does not mature. I mean, they're, they're and I say we could fall in that category because this is, obviously it is. They hear the word. They, they don't give up the word. They don't reject the seed. The seed is there, but it's in the thorn. It's Not in good soil, but it's, it's there. It's not washed away. It's it's sort of like the hit and miss norm door, you know, or the kind of like a supernatural obstacle course. You know, I got so many I got so much going on. We use these these modern phrases. You know, I've got so much on my plate. It's been a crazy week, it's been a crazy day. I don't know, being 21st century culture, I think what's abnormal is, hey, it's been a kind of a normal week. Believe it or not, it's been kind of a normal day. Does that really happen? I don't know. Not too often. I'm crazy busy. That's another, you know, busy is not enough. It doesn't describe my situation. It's, now I'm crazy bu- busy. Someone. Uh, sorry, I, I answered your email two weeks late. It's been crazy busy. And then you say, well, yeah, I guess you're an exception. The rest of us have nothing to do. But yeah, it's been crazy busy. Uh, I'm moving. It's Christmas. It's, it's Easter. It's Thanksgiving. It's Fourth of July. It's Memorial Day. It's Labor Day. What are some of those obstructions? Well, we can just take our pick. I mean, I'm just plagiarizing ideas I get. People want me to use more modern obstruction. Um at least with the younger people, I said Facebook, and they said that's not a problem anymore. People have moved on to other distractions. So I'm sorry if I'm 10 years behind here. But it could be turning our smartphone into a dumb phone, where the dumb phone eats away into our prayer because it's there and it's on, and it squeaks on us, (laughs) and all of a sudden there's more texting and email checking and than actual dialogue with our Lord. Well, what do I have to do? I have to deny this psychological tendency to have this thing on at all times next to me. Or, you know, I'm attached to going to bed at a certain time. Okay, well, what does that mean? Well, going to bed at a later time means that I have to that get up later, and getting up later means that I'm behind the eight ball during the day, and I, I can't even fathom doing the mental prayer in a church or before Mass because it's just too late. Or I don't get to certain norms because I've got a little bit of a routine. I enter into a comfort zone and I don't want to violate that comfort zone. And so my plan of life gets put off and now my spiritual life, my contemplative life is an obstacle course. And more than seeking our Lord out, I'm getting it done, and sometimes I get it done, sometimes I don't get it done, and I'm happy with getting it done. What do I need? I need more freedom. Because our Lord talks about, he, he mentions self-denial first, because what is all this about? What is the baseline of discipleship? It's gift of self. It's total gift of self. It's total self-giving. I can't give myself if I have an attachment to a routine, that gets in the way of my plan of life. I can't give of myself if there's an attachment to a mood. I can't give of myself if I'm pursuing comfort in such a way that I'm not attending to my family, uh, whatever it may be. Or I can't give myself to our Lord if my internet viewing is out of control. These are the sort of things we have to look at. I mean, the olden days, I don't know if it was easy or not, Uh, give me a heated studio apartment over a cold castle. Uh, So I don't know, Uh, they didn't have phones in those days and plumbing and electricity, so they probably had to, uh, probably the meditation giver had to use different examples. But the bottom line is that I need to have this detachment from self. Uh, We read, should have read this earlier, and we'll finish up from Saint Josemaria in his homily on detachment. Bearing in mind what I have just said, I want you to be completely convinced that if we really want to follow our Lord closely and be of real service to God and, and the whole of mankind, then we must be thoroughly detached from ourselves, our intellectual talents, our health, our good name, our noble ambitions, our triumphs and successes. I would also include, because your decision ought to go that far, the high ideals which lead us to seek only to give all the glory to God and to praise him. We can ensure our detachment by tailoring our will to this clear, precise rule. Lord, I want this or that only if it pleases you, because if not, I'm not the slightest bit interested. By acting in this way, we are dealing a mortal blow to the selfishness and vanity that lurk in every conscience. At the same time, we will find true peace of soul through this selfless conduct that leads to an ever more intimate and intense possession of God. If we are to imitate Jesus, our hearts need to be entirely free from attachments. Pray for us, Mary, so that we have the humility and the courage to look at ourselves and make an effective resolution to be less attached to ourselves and more attached to your son. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help and putting them into effect. My Immaculate Mother Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.